Welcome to the Billings PD Unfiltered Podcast. This is episode three. Uh, we're back talking downtown issues again today, and we're actually going to do a part two. So if you haven't listened to episode two, part one, uh, go there first uh, and listen to that because this conversation is going to kind of build on some of that today. Uh, so I'm Lieutenant Brandon Woolley. Uh, my guests today are going to be Sergeant Shane Winden, who uh, kind of... Uh, founded some of the DBA stuff uh, years ago when we first started in this. A- AKA Shane the Cop. Shane the Cop. Hashtag Shane the Cop. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, County Commissioner Dennis Pittman is with us today. Gentlemen, welcome. I don't have an AKA. We can get you one. Well, I, I just call you like Dennis the Commish. The Commish. There Something like is. that. The there Commish. That sounds tough. It's already, that. it's already taken. They've oh, yeah. done many We're TV off. We're on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so here we are. We're talking part two, downtown issues. In part one, we talked about what it really looks like, the impact on the street level from the officers. Uh, We're bringing you guys in today, and we want to talk about kind of this 10,000-foot view, some of the solutions, strategies, um, and kind of how this all meshes with our community. So with that being said, um, let's put it out there. The The big talk was the transit issues, the substance abuse, the mental health issues. Um... And, and we were very specific that it's not all of the homeless population in Billings, but we do have a portion uh, that doesn't seem to take to the resources that we have and some of those solutions. So here we are to, to talk about that more. And I think that's important because I think it's, it's important to discuss the amount of services that are out there that are being provided by the community on a regular basis. One of the things we learned even through this COVID issue we're trying to provide services for people who wouldn't accept the services in the format that we were providing them. Hmm. Okay. And so, so what does that look like? Well, it looks like everything from quarantine facilities that they won't go to, to providing mental and, and drug addiction and all of these services. There, there's a level of people, and you discussed it in your previous uh, discussion, was there are the people that are on track. They're, they're doing, they're working the program and they, and they're there for a short period of time. They utilize services, the services wrap around them, carry them through. So if they're homeless for whatever situation, it's temporary, it's one time and they get them into services. And that might be about medical or, or physical or mental issues, but, but to walk them through that. And those people are, are it, not necessarily easy to help, but they're helpable. Um, what we find is that the biggest issue being the, the people, and, and you were talking about it previously, um, that disrupt, are difficult, are defiant, are belligerent, and, and just refusing services. And yet we're still tied in what we can do with them. It's not illegal for them to be homeless. It's not illegal for them to be out on the sidewalk. It's not illegal for them to do a lot of the things that they're doing. And they're very aware of that. They, they know the law probably better than you and I know the law as far as what they can or cannot do. The problem is, is you get that level of aggressiveness that starts happening in our community, starts creating an anxiety, and it also starts creating a stereotype that they're all this way. And so all of a sudden, every time you see a transient, every time you see somebody out on the, on the sidewalk, they all get labeled the same way. And, and what we're trying to find out and differentiate right now is how do you separate out that population and how do we provide services so that the people that, that want help get help and the people that don't, we find a resource that care and stick. Uh, I use the example all the time. Uh, I was at the commissioning of the USS Billings, amazing ship. And the, the captain made a statement. He goes, you know, we lead this ship 
with the U.S. flag. We're here to protect those who can't protect themselves, the most vulnerable. But he said, make no mistake, 10 feet behind that flag is a gun that can, can address a lot of issues. So for those who want help, we can give them help. But those that don't, we have to come up with a way in which we can uh, hold them accountable for their behavior. And it's been a big struggle. We, we've been, since I got on the commission, we started remodeling the jail, adding new jails, beds, and things like that. Uh, but, but what do you do with that? I mean, we filled them. The jail is full and at capacity, even with COVID. Even after the judges turned and let 100 people out of jail, we are back to over capacity. Right. It was it was full before COVID. I mean, it's just it's something we're probably going to be touching on in a whole nother session. But that's definitely a big contributor to the problem that we're seeing downtown. It is because at one point we had a program to where you had the ability as officers to, to, to bring a certain population and hold them accountable. Even if it was for short term, you could rotate them in and out, teach them, you know, OK, there is a, a carrot and a stick here. We do have you can't just, you know, flick your nose at us. We can actually take you to jail. And, and with all of the things that have been going on, we were actually at that point where we were almost back to that opportunity. Um, we had the, the, the jail remodeled. We had it all. We had the women's section all reconstructed. And we had our empty pod. We had everything fixed up. And then COVID hit. Really, we, we were supposed to. This was supposed to be the time where we were supposed to be able to do this. And now we're using that old section as our quarantine for the people in the jail who have COVID. So I keep having to tell and look into officers' eyes all the time and go, we were this close. We will get there. We will get there. It's just getting through a few hurdles Uh, because the frustration on the level of the police department on trying to do their job effectively when they don't have all the resources. There's a billion resources out there. The one thing we we don't have right now is, is the stick part of it. And, and part of that addresses not only uh, some punitive pu- punishment, but, but sometimes it's just the time out that they need to reassess and, and, and whether that's to become a little more sober so we can try to find out what they want. But at some point, uh, we're going to have to get back to the legislature and discuss some issues that are, are becoming unacceptable behaviors in our community. Absolutely. I just I wanted to back up just real quickly. We were talking about the percentages of those people that are using the services versus the ones that we're having the big issue with. I think Brad talked about a little bit last time with some of those numbers and who the folks that are actually like really the problem versus how many people are really homeless in Billings. Um, that's actually something I just wanted to touch on because I'm sure there's a lot of people that hear this uh, have talked to me about some of our services and our, our transient population. So we'll just get rid of the services. We have this problem because we have services in Billings. Uh, you know, Bozeman doesn't have these kind of services. And so they send all their people to us. And you hear all the speculation rumors, bus therapy. They're sending them to the towns that have services. And by putting these services in place, we're inviting this problem down here. And so people don't really know all the nature of the facts. It is a, something that we have to address that we need a service in place for, um, but but they don't understand that it's much like uh, an iceberg. You know, you get the reference of what's going on underneath the water of an iceberg. You know, you've got that little tip that's sticking out that you can see, and that's what the people see downtown are the folks in the corners or in front of the restaurants, in front of the brew pub causing that problem, but they don't see that underlying mass that's underneath the water that are using services that don't create any of these problems, and we're actually helping them get back on their feet. Exactly. So we're talking 25 
hundred, three thousand people that are accessing services in our community right now. Right. Okay. So you take that number and then you actually break it down. And, and if I walked up to a donut eating cop right now, the St. John always calls you guys. <laughs> we're, um, we're, ba- we're bagels and tea these days. We're, we're, a, we're a better generation. <laughs> <Yep>. Lattes. <laughs> Uh, what you know, then you get down to there's probably 50 to 100 people, and and like we were talking earlier, you were talking earlier, there, you know them by name, you know this 50 to 100 people that are chronically causing the issues, and they take it right up to the edge of where they can go with some of this, and they know the edge, but they're disruptive and they're vocal, and just like a lot of things in our society right now, they get a lot of attention. And Dennis, those people aren't even allowed any of these services. They've right. been 86 for most of the places that will provide the service. They're not allowed into the rescue mission. They weren't allowed into the hub. They weren't allowed in any of these places, uh, the crisis center or the hospital. I mean, to get trespassed from a hospital, right. I mean, you have to do a lot of work. There. Exactly. So and that's what I, have, I always remind people when, when they, they were saying, oh, well, the hub was the issue or the crisis center or the MRM or, or St. Vincent de Paul. And I say, but watch. Now, I'm going to give you a little lesson here, and it's it's a lesson in billings that to pay attention to because once you understand it, it makes a, a whole difference. What you'll see are the people that need the services are inside the building. The people that have been literally trespassed off of the mental health center, the crisis center, and all these other places are on the perimeter. Yeah, And, they're, and they're, they're circling and they're victimizing the people that are getting the services, and that becomes a huge issue that is just, it's probably what lit a fire under me that, that this can't be sustainable the way it's going. Wasn't, wasn't an abuse of, of mental health services or that it was finding out the level of victimization of the most vulnerable by this group of people. And, and, and that's where I lose my absolute patience with this whole thing is when you start seeing somebody who's trying to do right, trying to get their life on track, and they're being victimized by this group of, for lack of a better word, thugs. And I've, I've been face-to-face with them. Um, there's a difference between the person that, that passively is getting services or holds up their sign. And I'm amazed at the aggressiveness that's happened even in this last year. Um, as I'm, I'm spending more and more time downtown, it used to be sometimes they'd come and they'd ask you for a lighter or a cigarette. Then it was a quarter. Then it was a dollar. I had somebody ask me for 10 bucks the other day. 10. I was like, wow, inflation or something here. I've <laughs> $10. My kids aren't even getting $10 right now from dad, much less. No. Um, but, but that's, that's a big issue with us right now is trying to identify that group. But what do you do with them? Um, and we, we identified them and it was the biggest frustration because even as we were going through COVID and the isolation and the quarantine, we could get people to do what we need them to do, the ones who, who needed help. But this, this small group is, was even defiant through COVID. Now, if, if we can't even bring them to the table for help on that, how can we get them to, to comply with basic other issues. And I think that's where, where this is all going. You know, uh, you could probably speak better than I can to the cost of all these services to the taxpayers right. that are, that are there, that they're, they're choosing not to utilize. Uh, and then at the end of the day, law enforcement does have to get involved. We are that last gap because if you don't have that after us, what else is there? Right. And, and there's, so there's a couple of things and we've talked about this and I keep thinking about a conversation we had a couple of weeks ago. So there's, there's the $10 million that our community writes a check for 
to, to address and, and help people that are vulnerable or struggling with co-addictions and co, co-behaviors and things like that. Um, but but the, we've got to get back to the, the spare change for real change as, as a priority within our community. When we, we think we're helping people by giving them a dollar, by giving them $10, by, by buying them the beer, by, by just right. giving them the one thing. You, you made a point that just keeps resonating in my mind that I don't, we've got to get this message out that what if just by doing your what you feel good is giving somebody, let's go $2. Right. What is that $2 costing us? Well, that might be the $2 that causes them to, over, to overdose or to do something really bad. It just was the last $2 of, that they needed, or it was the last $2 that put them over. And, and now we're into incarceration or we're into medical or whatever it is. Incarceration, $100 a day minimum is what it's costing the community. Start walking into an emergency room and trying to treat them because they overdosed and yeah. now there's some <clears throat> Yeah, the ambulance ride. The we, had ambulance a guy, ride. we had a guy one day got transported three times, three times in the same day. Right. So. He, uh, he sits in panhandles, uh, everyone feeling uh, guilt out of their part or for the destitute man on the corner, gives them their dollar or $2 because uh, I don't know if it makes them feel better or less guilty or they think they're actually genuinely helping. I don't know. Uh, but here this guy gets enough money. He gets his pint of liquor and he just pours it straight down his throat, gets so inebriated he, he can't walk or stand or even remain conscious. And he's out on the sidewalk. Of course, we can't leave a guy like that. Um, you know, you call and an ambulance has to show up. It's the police officers that show up, the ambulance, fire, uh, fire crew. Uh, and then you get this guy loaded up, you get him up to the hospital. The hospital doesn't have room to basically nurse someone who's just drunk back to health. They, they fill him with IV fluids, get him as sober as they can so he's walking and moving again. And right out the door he goes, well, they're able to do that so efficiently nowadays that he's right back out on the street panhandling again, getting the money that he needs and getting drunk again three times. And you, you imagine like what the cost of a, an ambulance ride just, you know, for you and I to go is like two, yeah, two three probably, grand, something exactly. like that minimum. Yeah. And, and you look at the total services per day per person that that's putting on us as a community just because people don't understand. And we may have to edit this out a little bit here. I'm going to try. I'm going to try to put this as eloquently as possible, and I want people to get it the wrong way. I refer, um, you know, I talk to the problem very similar to uh, like the issues in Yellowstone National Park with feeding the wildlife. And I'm not trying to make a reference to these people as wildlife. I'll just say it: don't feed the bears. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, so there are rules and things put in places. It, it comes along with the services they provide and those services have rules and things that are in places. But as a community, we're trying to put those things in a place so that people understand the long-term problem that creates. And I, and I get that they feel right. and, nice. And, and that's a culture change. We, we've discussed this. Uh, I mean, this is, is a real thing. And, and, and it, it sounds kind of crass, but if you actually go back 30, 40 years ago, people went to Yellowstone Park and fed the bears. And then what ended up happening was the bears started getting aggressive. Then they started demanding food. Then they started ripping apart cars. Then they started hurting people. And then we had to put down the bear. Right. And so, and how is it, you know, and, and we created the problem. And now you look at, you go to, you go to the park and, and other than a few stray people that think they can pet a buffalo, 
you're, you don't have bears literally coming up to cars and clawing at them and trying to get a sandwich. Yeah, it's really unheard of. And we're not saying we can't, we don't want to feed them. And that's what we were right. talking about, the spare change for oil change and some of these. We're directing these people to the services to be used appropriately so that they can get food, shelter, their life back on track and not out there because they're panhandling because they don't want to use those services because those services have rules in place that are going to put them back on track. And they're not interested in that course yet. They just, right. they want to do things their way. And we don't want to bypass that and create a way to enable that behavior. Because if we can remove that enabling portion of those those behaviors, then they're restricted to their options. Right, because he, here's a key point in Billings, and, and I'll challenge anybody to prove me wrong, but you can eat probably three to four meals a day oh, yeah. in Billings without ever paying a dime. And, and I challenge people to do this, and, I, and, and especially if they get kind of, well, you don't understand. I'll say, go do it. St. Vincent de Paul will not turn you away because you live in a million-dollar home. If you want to go walk the streets and do this, you can actually walk and get lunch in three different places, dinner provided that night, and, and if you really want, there are people that will provide food on a regular basis. Now they get a little picky in, in what they want to eat and things like that. But the reality is nobody in Billings is starving to death. It's so if you're giving them money because you're afraid they're, they're going to starve to death, it's, it's not real. Right. So on a side note here, this is my other favorite is where people are like, well, I'm not going to, I don't give them money. Um, what I do is I, I invite them to, uh, come get a meal. My, my own father did this once. <laughs> he told me about this, uh, this incident that happened. Keyword once, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> once. Cause what happened, he, he doesn't live here in Billings. He lives in Helena and he was trying to do the right thing. He doesn't want this guy to go into addiction. He knows he's just going to take his money and use it for alcohol or something like that. So he says, Hey, why don't you come in here? Uh, I'm going into Hardee's. I'll buy you some lunch. Guys like, Oh, great. That's great. They walk in the door. And they weren't in the door 30 seconds before that manager made eye contact with that guy who's now in his store who <laughs> we're finding out later had been trespassed for some other issues and other problems that had been created earlier. My dad invited this guy now back into the store. And that manager was over the counter and having to deal with that situation all over again created a whole new problem. And so we do have that where people will <sighs> trying to do the better thing or the right thing and I get their hearts in the right place. We've had even churches who will bring down their food bus to mm -hmm. feed everybody, but they'll park it in a bank parking lot that has been working endless hours to try and create an environment for their business to keep the homeless population off of it. They've, or they've uh, trespassed so many people from it, and now this organization has invited them all back onto the property, and, and we deal with that in a whole different capacity. And so talking about like spare change for real change is one of those programs um, that you brought up. We didn't talk too much in the last one, but it's exactly that. It's, it's, a, it's a program that's being brought back up to, if you really want to make that kind of change, you want to donate your dollar to just those little amounts are going to go to programs that are going to help filter that money back into the services that are truly going to help these people in, in the right directions. Right. And, and that becomes the frustrating thing is as we look at how the, the transient, and I'm not. I'm going to separate the transient from the homeless. We we really don't have a homeless problem in Billings because we have the resources for those that are temporarily out of housing. Um, we have plenty of resources, and those aren't the people that are. Those people are, are are working through programs to 
to rebuild their lives, rebuild their credit, to get established and, and to hopefully move on. And, and, and that program works well. When we start talking the transient program and the transient issues, that's where we start having a problem. And and it's it's scary to me right now is it used to be the sign that said, I'm a vet, you know, give me some money. Well, I, I would go up to them and say, you know, Volunteers of America, there's Independence Hall in the Heights for, for homeless veterans. You don't have to be out on the street. If you are truly a veteran, honorably discharged, there are a million services out there. I will get you. I will personally take you to those. And if you haven't found out about them, these people are amazing and they will step up and they'll deal with it. So don't believe it for a second if that's the sign. And and so they've gotten away from that. What's scaring me more is they, they've now found an entertainment venue. So they're putting up the signs that say all sorts of bizarre stuff. And, you know, the last one I saw, I was on my way home and it's right there by, by the Metra. And this guy's got a sign and he's dancing for people and entertaining them. And it's a sign that says, look, I was robbed. I just need some money for crack. Well, in and of itself, that sign is horrific. But there's this person in front of me waves them over, gives them money and wants a picture with a selfie as we're waiting at the light as right. some kind of a funny thing. And it's like, this is not funny and this is dangerous and this is perpetuating something and, and it's just gonna accelerate because word will get out. Oh, do the crazy thing, do the dance, do the wild sign and somehow that's gonna get you more money. So I'd, I'd like to like to chime in just a second because I don't know that the, the average person understands some of that, that constitutional portion of that. Uh, and they see those signs or why can't they panhandle and why can't they stand there? And, and the courts have ruled uh, with, with our aggressive solicitation law that, you know, Brad was explaining in his first session that they can stand on the corner, mm -hmm. they can hold a sign, but they're not supposed to stop traffic because it's a safety issue. It's a flow of traffic. You can have accidents, that kind of thing, right? Uh, Unless you're a firefighter. Right. And you have a boot and you can stop traffic <laughs> oh, and all sorts oh, of problems. Oh boy, you've done it now. <laughs> You've been on those. Shots fired. Shots fired. <laughs> right. All right. And so so we've received guidance not only through case law, but the attorney's office is that uh, it's their right for free speech to sit there and hold a sign on a public venue in a public place. And that person who stops in traffic, pulls over, gets out or gives them gives them money, the burden on them is now they're creating the traffic problems, they're creating the hazards, uh, but you still have to allow that person their free speech. Right. But what I think people don't understand is, is them ex exercising that is exactly what you just explained, is it's perpetuating all these other problems. Now we have the money, they're circumventing the systems that are in place that the taxpayers are already paying for and it's undermining the system. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's the important thing. And, and it's kind of funny. My, my, my family doesn't walk with me very often anymore because you know, these things and all of a sudden somebody comes up and they're like, can you give me a dollar or something like that? And, or if I'll pull up and, and if they start coming up to the car, I roll down the window and go, you can't do this. It's against the law. You can stand <laughs> on the side. And I start this whole lecture on what they can or cannot uh, do. And they just kind of, they, they realize it and they go, Oh, wrong guy. And they go back to the sidewalk and they stop. But it, it, it can be that simple as just going, look, you know, you can't do this. It's against the law for you to aggressively come up. If I walk up and just hand somebody randomly a dollar, there's nothing illegal about that. But they're not supposed to be approaching anybody and, and it's certainly not aggressively. But um, I, I, I just look at them and go, stop it. Now, if you really need help, here are the resources. And, and the problem is, is I know where the resources are. 
And, and a lot of people don't realize the amount of resources in our community. And that's why as we're starting to look at this mobile crisis unit, um, at, at police officers, you guys didn't sign up to be social workers. And yet that's what you're being asked to do all the time. Well, what if we had mental health services going with you? And and just like we have um, Cody? Uh, yeah, I can't Cody, remember his name. I think he's the, the, the outreach coordinator. The outreach you know, coordinator. What if he's with you? He recognizes it's Bob. Bob just needs a sandwich and and we just and he'll be all right. So then we de-escalate the situation and we move on. Or Bob just needs his to get back on his meds. Or he just needs to go sober up a little. Um, or, or or things like that. Those are the ways we need to start changing our whole mentality. Everything from law enforcement, firefighters, AMS, all of that kind of stuff, down to people handing that dollar. Dennis, can you take a moment, because you know better than anybody else, can you talk about the resources and, and, and specifically kind of hit on their locations? Because I think when people know where the resources are, and then you start looking at the problems that we have in the areas that we are, a lot of those resources are in these areas right. that are just down the block. And, right. And real quick, before you go down in there, something we didn't touch on, you know, in addition to you being a commissioner, the boards that you sit on and why you're so involved in this stuff. Sure. So I served eight out eight eight hours, eight years on the Billings City Council. Right. Um, I was, I'm the former chair of the mental health center. Um, been working with a lot of the groups with continuum of care, incident command, um, that kind of resources that we've had in our community. Now that being said, that that's I'm I'm what year twelve of doing this. So you start finding out where the community resources are at. And, and I truly do know where they're at. And so you start, let's start with a basic, the, the MRM, the Montana Rescue Mission. Um, and, and what are the services they provide? Well, everything from housing to food to, to counseling and things like that. Now, what, is, what are the barriers there? Because they, they, there are barriers. Each of these programs have different levels of, of service they provide. The MRM can provide services like that, but they have expectations. You're going to help out. You're going to take care of the facility. You're going to be sober or getting sober. Um, and you're not going to be able to, to blow hot or, or these kind of things at certain levels and then stay there. If you're actually trying to come down off of something, they'll, they'll work with you. Um, but uh, there, there's no barrier, low barrier, and those people working to their way out of the system. Um, I see MRM as a, a organization that is there trying to assist people that are at that level of trying to get some help. They need the support. They can't do it on their own, but they need some help. Um, you've got St. Vincent de Paul. You've got the Mental Health Center. You've got the crisis, Community Crisis Center. They're all evaluating people in different ways and trying to figure out what they need. And so what you'll find are sometimes people are referred to the Community Crisis Center They'll do an evaluation and realize all they need is some case management or they need a place to get their mail or things like that. And they might have referred them over to the hub or they just needed a sandwich or they just needed, they, they're a family that has just, everybody, they woke up one day and they hadn't paid their mortgage. They had, they have no food. They have their kids. Well, maybe all they need to do is go to family services. Family services and give them a box of food and get them stable and, and try to find them some housing, maybe pay for a car repair. Uh, you know, we hear the story all the time while well, I'm on my way to, to Seattle to see a family member, my car broke down. Well, if that's truly the situation, we even have programs that will help with that. Um, so there, there's all these different ways. And what we're trying to figure out is how do you coordinate that so you can take Bob 
evaluate him, and then get him to the appropriate service. We don't want to over-serve him, but we don't want to underserve him. And and there are that many spectrum of services in our community that, that we're able to do that. So yeah, we do provide a lot of services. Do we attract some of those people? Absolutely. Because one of the things that we've realized as a, as a hub of Eastern Montana is, is our neighboring counties, they can't afford any of this. They can't afford to support it. They can't afford to deal with it. And they don't have the resources to do it. So sometimes we have to just acknowledge that, yeah, they're going to do bus therapy. They're going to put somebody on a bus and go, we, you're going to have to go to Billings for this resource. We, we can't help you with that. Um, but we do have those resources. The saddest part is, is you've got that 50 to 100 people that are, are terrorizing everything out there. And, and they don't want to be sober enough to live at the MRM. They don't want to be stable enough to get food at, at family services. They don't want to, to, to show up and do their, their counseling at the mental health center. Um, they're not so sick that they need to be in the hospital, but um, the crisis center has a limited amount of beds. And, and what do you do there? So, so the, all of these organizations are working and, and it's not you're your totally mentally disabled because you have Lyft and you have um, all these other services out there to help our, our mentally disabled people. And, and so I, I, and I know all of those services. Um, so if, if somebody is really encountering something to where they find a person that um, within their family that they don't know what to do with, uh, absolutely have them reach out to me reach out to one of these organizations and and find out what the the resources are out that are out there because then we can get them to the right place but but handing them a dollar on the corner is probably the worst option for you to do and and I will pound that into the to, to my dying breath because I just see no direct benefit and and I've done that before I was so ecstatic when at one point um, I had a guy come up and go, Hey, I just want a buck. Cause I want to go get drunk. Right. And I was like, wow, he told the truth. I, I'll give you the dollar just for being honest with me. And then after I did it, I was like, what did I just do? I'm, I'm violating my own right. Right. policy here, but there, there's so many resources out there that, that really do. We are missing the resource of, of the jail right now. <clears throat> there are some things that, I mean, you, they, they think that it's just a, a blank check, but the reality is you can, if you have a very belligerent, bad person that's doing bad things, we, we can find places for them even in the jail. Well, let's talk about that for a second, because that's another public perception right. of the jail is for a homeless person. Isn't that just help? I mean, isn't that just what they want? It's three hots and a cot is what you hear. You hear the phrase. How are we just and doing a service? And they've used that before. Right. They, they exactly. Yeah. I will tell you what I've experienced, though, is it also means sobriety and a level of DTs that they have to go through and experience. And from everything from an alcoholic um, person to, like, say, a drug user, the the, the fear of sobriety um, outweighs anything. And so the, the jail is very consequential. It's definitely not the place they want to be. This is another place that's got rules and orders. And it's not fun, you know. It's 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 free of their their addiction of choice, and it's it actually is a very effective tool. It's not what Absolutely. people think it is. They some of them might do that with the with the colder weather, you know, to try to get out of a place. It it 
does happen. Um, but they're also usually pretty drunk at the time and don't realize the decision they've volunteered themselves for either. And I I think you got to make the distinction though, because when I think when the average person listens to the media or they hear this conversation about putting people in jail to problem solution, it gets echoed this mass incarceration thing, this mass incarceration thing. Uh, that's clearly not what we're talking about. We're talking about we have a community with resources that are set up and available, and that part of that that plan or those tools or that toolkit is the jail system. Yeah, well, and and it can't be. You know, this is this is the other key word that floats out there is a sobering center. The jail's not designed to be a sobering center. That's not what it's for. It's not. Um, it's it's not there as a resource to to get Bob sober, because that's that's not what we're, we're there for. And, and we really, as a community, that's probably one of the resources we really do need. Because of the laws, either we have to have the laws change or we have to figure out a way to, to have a sobering center. Because what's happening, and, and it's a big fear, and, and I see it liability-wise on the commissioner side of it because it's the commissioners and the taxpayers that pay the bills that keep the jail open. But what happens if it used to be, and I'm, I'm just fictitiously using Bob, or he's been drinking and and in the past 20 years ago he went out he got hammered on some beers or or black velvet or whatever he got drunk uh, passes out nobody wants to deal with him in the family they call the police you guys show up put him in the back of the car take him to jail he sobers up he promises he won't do this again life is good the family comes and picks him up and takes him home and and we repeat this cycle every six months you know, you just know you're seeing Bob every six months. What's happened is all of a sudden it was three months. Then it was two months. Then it was one month. And then all of a sudden Bob isn't just doing alcohol. He's, he's, he's doing meth and he's doing heroin and he's doing all these other things. So it's not just even a simple detox in our jail. We're seeing people in our jail that we can't even get their name out of them for two or three days because of the level of... Um, intoxication and and effects of drugs just to get them to where we can communicate on a basic level with them that's That's, not what our jail is designed for that's a good spot i wanted to talk about just real quickly what uh sean graves uh you know as a as a public and a business owner he brought up uh, in the last session being able to use the some of these folks for community service if we don't have the jail space and that was something that i i thought would be a great idea as well and just opening my eyes to the reality of what you were just talking about when you're dealing with people with addiction and it takes the jail anywhere between two to five days um, to detox someone like this and get them into a position that they would even be capable or fit to go back out and work in a uh, community service type environment and then coupled with the fact that the violations we're seeing that end them in jail are pretty small they're quality of life violations we're not talking about horrendous crimes here we're talking about the public and uh the public drinking and public urination and things like that and the trespassing and these these come with like two-day jail sentences three so by the time the jail's got them sober and in front of a judge it's time served and they're out and and so that's it's just never been a feasible option. I would love for it to be, but it just doesn't seem like anything we can reach when you're talking about someone with addiction. Yeah. You know, and, a, and I want to just pause here for yeah. just a sec because I know it sounds like we get kind of crass and cold-hearted when we're talking about this. What we really wanted to do this this 
this format was to have the honest conversation. So we're not being rude. We're not being disrespectful. We're not being crass about this. We're just being very honest about things that people are, are perceived that they're seeing and the reality of what's going on. And, and, and sometimes reality checks in that, that, you know, that talk with your kid about the realities of life and things like that. It, it's brutal and it's not pretty. But people really need to hear this, and they need to hear it in a very raw way and in an unfiltered way. And, and so when we do this, we're out on a ledge, really, because um, somebody could take anything I'm saying or you're saying out of context and, and say, oh, did you hear what the commissioner said? That was politically incorrect or whatever. We're not purposely being politically incorrect, but what we're trying to say is the reality of the situation is this. And we've tried every way to nicely talk about it. We're just peeling the onion a little deeper and having a more real conversation about this. I'm glad you brought that up because I was heading in that direction anyways. And we have to have this conversation and it has to be there because that's the only way for us to identify the problems and talk about it, understand it so we can come up with better solutions and work to right. work together better. Yeah. But what you guys just hit on was the trajectory of addiction. You know, prior to, prior to this life of me being a lieutenant, I worked almost six years in, in the drug task force, understand the addiction process very well. And when you're talking about these resources, you mentioned the six months and now it's three months and now we're maybe dealing with them, the, with them weekly. You know, people who go through addiction, they burn their bridges one bridge at a time. And the one thing that has always kind of given me a gauge to tell me like how far somebody is in their addiction is, is that if they have their own family members, their mother, their father, their kids who want nothing to do with them, because they've stole from them, used them, uh, used them to enable themselves, that kind of thing. When the family has cut them off, uh, two things, you got somebody who's in full throes of addiction and is really down towards the bottom. But the other part is, is if they're not willing to, or if their family isn't even willing to, to help them anymore because they've tried everything, you know, it's no wonder that it's hard to get them to use these resources sometimes because they've, they've burned every bridge to include the, the people who are most loved to them right because it takes a long time to come out of an addiction it's a lifetime journey from that point on and without the support of of family and and some solid people around you it's it's a, a very difficult challenge uh so what is their option to go back and and experience that that cycle of people that will feed their addiction and keep them and accept their behavior drug it's just a drug seeking behavior exactly and so who do you want to hang out with the person that's going to continually affirm that or the person that's going to go you know you could do better you could try better and and at this point we're seeing a level of of addiction and 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 meth really changed it this isn't just drunk bob stumbling out of the bar and that's just bob this is this is meth this is heroin this is fentanyl these are big time drugs that, that aren't games. And, and it's not any fun for these people. It is painful to see people in our jail going through basically raw detox because we've put them in a holding cell and, and we've given them nothing because we don't want them to hurt themselves or anybody else. And then you watch them start to detox off of some of this stuff. It's brutal. It is physically painful. And then we're watching that and going, we don't want them to hurt themselves. We don't want them to die in the process of this detox, which is what's got them into this cycle because then they start self-medicating them to take care of that pain. And and it's it's just a, a whole different beast. And we've got to be honest with what 
the drugs are doing in our community. We can't just go, oh, it's just alcohol. Because if it were just alcohol, this would, this would be a lot easier to take care of. You know, and when you're talking this, uh, uh, you know, expanding this just a little bit more to the, to the drugs and stuff, these people are really what I call super users of the system. And, and regardless of what kind of kicked them off into the drug abuse, uh, obviously mental health is a huge one because they, they're self-medicating from some type of trauma and or some type of mental health issue that they haven't been able to deal with yet. But they're super users in the fact that um, on all those services, the counseling, the outreach, a lot of times they're participating in those, uh, but then they don't have a job. So they're in another service and they're using those benefits. But then the crime rate associated with the, the, the drug and the substance abuse in our community, uh, most all of our crimes have some type of drug nexus or another, whether it's recovering a stolen vehicle and we're finding syringes in it, uh, or it's a drug deal gone bad and now we have a shooting. Um, there's, there's such a strong tie to that. So they're super users in the fact that they're creating work, they're creating crime, they're creating victims. And in the back half of that, you have all of the court proceedings, you have all everything else that you're talking about. Exactly. And, and how much does all of that cost? Not only the human toll to, to those people and their families, but, but to the entire system. So then people that are awaiting justice on other things, that justice is delayed because the system is being tied up with other offenses. And, and so that's why this isn't just one thing fixes it. And, it. and it's not one thing is at fault. Everybody, you know, I'll go after one issue at a time. And it was always oh, just after the, these guys. Well, no, I need to get this done before I can go to the next spoke. And, um, you know, Chief St. John, I, I just really admire him. He, 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 he kind of helped form me as a, as a councilman and, and showed me the, you know, the different spokes. Um, and, and he impressed me because he would, he would come before city council and go, you can give me all the donut eating cops or bagel eating cops that, that you want. It's not going to help me if you don't increase the amount of judges, increase the amount of attorneys, increase the amount of facilities for care, increase the jail, increase all of these things. And he had this, this wheel with 10 different spokes on it and said, you can't just fix one of these spokes or this tire will be lopsided. You've got, and, and, and we're a society that we like to pick our little favorite project and this is what's going to fix everything. And it's not. And, and we're on a whole different level now that looking at different ways of providing care and services are, are not, not even just a luxury. It's, it's going to be a requirement. And it's, and it's a tough thing because we're changing the mentality of a lot of people. Everything from the people that just knew about old Uncle Bob and his, his beers to an idea. And, and, and that's just taking generations as we're starting to have people see the drug addiction, the meth, the, and, and, and what the ramifications of that are. Um, I, you know, I was a foster parent for 15 years. Same thing. The level when I was a foster parent to a parent, a person who's a foster parent now are night and day because of what the experiences that brought them to that program are. And, and we've got to be honest with that and, and do that in a way in which we're doing um, the psychological side, the co-addictions, the self-treatment. What, what are all the triggers that are leading into this and, and how do we do that? So you mentioned, sorry, Shane, real quick. So you mentioned a little bit earlier the mobile outreach mm -hmm. and stuff like that. It sounds like there's some stuff in the works. Are there plans to get some mobile outreach going into the community? We are working on that. We actually, Bozeman is doing that. And so we're kind of watching to see how their program works. 
Uh, they introduced it to us about a year ago at MACO, the Montana Association of Counties, and said, here's, here's a new idea that's out there, that instead of having a building and all of this infrastructure and making Bob, go back to Bob, uh, come into the building and do this, let's, let's, let's intervene early Let's get people that know who these people are and identify with them. That's always amazing to hear that I, I you know, when he's getting a phone call and he goes, oh, I know. Okay, it's Bob. Um, I'll be there in a minute with you. And, and, and if you're the bagel eating cop, you're there just to stop the urination or the, the stealing or the vandalism or something like that. That's supposed to be your job, not talking Bob down or getting him the sandwich. Well, let's, if, if you had someone right next to you that said, Shane, it's all right. I'm going to get him a sandwich. I'll take care of this. You go back to doing what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I will take care of him. And then we'll get him to the services he needs because then that person knows what the services are in the community and can get him there. So so now, not only do you, right now, we're expecting you as police officers to know the law, to be restraints, plus be social workers, plus know every social programs out there, plus be a psychiatrist that evaluate this person and get him to the right services. All in a matter of 10 minutes of a crisis situation. Well, that's always been the nature of law enforcement. As far as, I mean, that's that's probably never going to change. And it's but not no, that we don't want to. But no, if you have the to, resources just, with you yeah. that you go, okay, you deal with Bob and, and, and you don't have to trigger it. Because once we start pulling certain triggers, you can't go back. Right. So once you have to do the arrest or once you have to do this, then it sets that whole thing. And whether they have the 50 warrants or you take them to jail or something goes bad or all of a sudden they pull out a gun or something like that, um, th- there's all those other ramifications. And 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 it puts – I really – I sympathize with, with our police, our fire, our EMTs because you're being put in surreal situations anymore. And – and the people that you're encountering aren't aren't logically being able to communicate with them. So if a person's on meth, um, you know, and I know you guys do a lot of training on okay, identify the person on meth. But meth doesn't have a okay. They do this, this, and this. They go off in ten different directions. They're like a firework, and you've got to be ready for ten different scenarios within a short period of time. And and you're trying to protect not only you but the people around you and and the people around them. And, and it makes it very difficult. We, we deal with the same thing all the way through into the jail. Yep. So I want to dig into this just a little bit more because sure. this this hits some of the national narrative and talk with uh, defund the police. Now, right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this right now that our community locally has our own issues and our own problems. And we haven't had that type of demand from the public. And rightfully so, because I think the, right. the community is just made up a little bit differently. They want to support their police department, uh, that kind of thing. But on a national trend, there's been this talk of defunding the police all the way from uh, disbanding them, getting rid of them, uh, to cutting their budget to fund other social services and to basically um, get counselors or re- outreach resource coordinators to replace law enforcement. I think we got to have this conversation right now because we're talking about mobile outreach right. um, and what this really looks like. And so here we have the, the layers of the onion we've been talking about. We got the homeless uh, population that majority wise uses the resources that we have. Mm-hmm. 
And now we get to this population who uh, causes problems uh, and, and there's lots of law enforcement contact with them. And the ability to have a mobile outreach reach that goes out there is going to directly correlate with their safety. Um, a lot of the people that we deal with in this group uh, at times of crisis, there's a, a counselor can't talk to them because they're so intoxicated or they're enraged. There's no reasoning with them. And, and law enforcement does get those de-escalation training and skills and abilities. Uh, you brought up the safety issue. So there is going to be a gap there where we can push some more mobile resources out. But I think we have to understand or the, or, or the listeners have to understand that um, just removing law enforcement from this process, one of the best things we could probably do for somebody who's really in crisis is having law enforcement safely get them to a resource where they can sober up and, and get that treatment. So when we talk about trying to shift law enforcement responsibilities, we can get those there and that should be, but there's always going to be that certain gap where it's going to be too dangerous, unsafe. You need law enforcement there for a reason. Um, and so it doesn't, uh, it's not a one or it's not a this or it's a that. It's not this, no, this box no. check. And, and that's a fundamental change in how we have to look at this. It, and and it, it, you get into the sound bites of, oh yeah, defund the police or it's all this. What, what we're talking about is giving you another resource in your in your car or with you as a team because we don't want the counselor just going out on his own and trying to intervene I mean, because you're right they're they're going to walk into a very dangerous situation where you have to go you need to step back this guy is is going to kill us all if you don't stop and and so having that resource because i think it's important that that you look at it from a couple different reasons you, you you're having somebody assess and, and you have two people or three people or whatever it is assessing a situation very quickly. I mean, so it has to become a partnership and a team where there's trust to where one of them understands, okay, we, we have exceeded your level of, of talking. It, Bob needs more than a sandwich right now kind of thing or, or whatever it is. The other side of that ends up being psychologically, if, if you have that support for your police officer as well, then they're not out there on their own with, okay, I just shot somebody. Okay, you've got somebody there to help them as well because there's a ramification there that needs to be addressed quickly. And so you, I think it, you start changing the whole mentality as why there's somebody there. And, and then you have somebody else then go out in the community saying, as a team, this this is what happened in this situation. While while everybody has their cell phone and they're recording it, that's not necessarily. Everybody thinks, oh well, that had to be accurate. It was on. It was recorded. Well, it was recorded from that perspective at that point. You weren't standing in my shoes with this experience that I've had or the experiences we have of this community. We may have known all along that Bob is our problem child in the community. Every time we get a call. We're waiting for this to be suicide by cop. We're waiting for this to be him to start just shooting people or shooting himself or something else. So it's not just as simple as what you're seeing. And, and so as we look at this, um, that's why I'm very proud of our community. I don't think we're, we have at any level been saying defund the police. I think we're actually going in the opposite direction. And I talked to Kurt Almy the other day and he's like, he's actually believing that we're gonna see some more federal dollars that that because of this national conversation we're going to be able to lead the the nation by because we're already ahead of it if we can get some of that federal dollars to show how this works and and it's going to take cooperation of the billing of the police departments and 
and the mental health centers and all of the drug addiction people and things like that to come together and work together. But if we do this, we could be an example to the, to the nation of how this works. And, and so I'm glad we brought that out there. It's like a more of a reinvestment into the community and how we deliver resources. And, and as far as like leading, leading the charge on this, I think we're one of the few law enforcement agencies that are using um, federal monies designed to go to drug task force units uh, to help with an outreach program to get counselors for this drug addiction in the field. Exactly. And, and, and we're doing different things like drug courts and vet courts. And we're, we're realizing that it's, it's not a one size fits all. We can actually address this in different ways, uh, whether it's PTSD and it's the veterans court or, or whatever it is, family court. There's different ways. We've got our judges thinking outside the box in, in ways that in big communities they're not doing and, and saying, OK, we're going to wrap ourselves around you and we're going to invest a lot in you because you're important. And, and, and this is better for us as a community to invest in you now. Because when you start looking at the cost of, of what it costs to incarcerate somebody or, or how much money we're spending just keeping the status quo right now, I bet you we spend 10 to $12 million a year for the status quo in billings. Wow. And, and what I've said is that's no longer acceptable. That I, I wanna see some <clears throat> substantial changes and and how things are being addressed and and that always gets interpreted oh well then you're saying we're di- we, we're doing something wrong and and that's not true there's a lot of good people doing a lot of good things but sometimes we're duplicating services sometimes we're competing for the same person when when a homeless person or a drug addicted person becomes a commodity that becomes a profitable entity that becomes a problem for us and we have to break that cycle as well but once you start addressing all of that and you bring everybody to the same table, then you start having the conversation of going, why don't you do this and you do this and you do this and do it well. And, and we, trust me, we're, we're not lacking for, for clients right now. So we're going to do this, um, you know, and it's mentality different with, within government because government's always on, okay, last year we, we had a hundred. This year we had 150. That means we're doing more. And, and so, you know, we're doing our job. And, and what, what their mentality needs to be is, if you came to me this year and said, well, last year we did 100, this year we did 95. To me, that's success. I'm right. not gonna cut your budget because now all of a sudden the numbers are going down. Um, I look at people all the time and it drives them crazy because they come before us and I'll go, I wanna see how you're decreasing. Your job should be to be obsolete. How, how, where is your vision to how do we get rid of this completely? Knowing it's, you know, it's, it's never going to go away hundred percent, but how are we going to start changing that pendulum uh, instead of re and, and it's, it's the same thing as addiction, quit reinforcing that other way and, and start reinforcing that I'm going to give you more money or I'm going to sustain your budget because you are doing the right thing. And we are seeing changes in our community and that's what we have to do. So <clears throat> actually, so we talked about this a little bit with just back to services and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, duplication of services. I know that was uh, one of the one of the many reasons I think the hub recently closed down. I know that made news and everyone knew about it, but wasn't really sure why or what was going on. And, and we've you and I have had some candid discussions about how many services are happening in town um, where 
the same services being provided multiple locations, but we don't have these uh, nonprofit organizations aren't communicating or playing well in the same sandbox sometimes. And then you get that person who, like you said before, is shopping around and finding that enabling behavior uh, to where they can continue down that path. And so I just wanted to piggyback on this a little bit sure, and come back to what you were talking about with some extra services and pitch maybe a different idea uh, as far as like, you know, we talk about having officers or someone riding with an officer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like sometimes with what we're doing, we're trying really hard to be proactive in a situation. And a lot of those situations we come to in a circumstance like that are, are going to be reactive. Right. I feel like some of these services, um, if we're going to start honing things down to where we, we are being able to offer a genuine good service that's really coordinated and has a good coordinated effort, we start talking about a proactive um, outreach to that service to where some of those people don't necessarily need to even be with officers. They're, right. they're out being mobile on the streets, looking for these groups, looking for these people and these clients they know, watching their behavior, seeing what they're up to, and then outreaching to them and counseling with them out there before the problem escalates to what it's at, um, to where we don't even need law enforcement involved right. in some of these points. And then we really and that's reduce what the amount of doing. calls. Yeah, exactly. That's what Bozeman actually does. They It's almost like an ambulance service. They have a van right. where, where they're... You know, there, there's ambulance chasers. Well, this is uh, they're, they're basically are police chasers. They're 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 being called in. You, they don't need to be at every scene. Right. I mean, you know, if it's if it's if people are robbing a bank, they don't need a counselor there to talk them out of robbing the bank. Yeah. They they you, they need to be arrested and thrown in jail. But so, but it, if if you start working better together and you start being able to call um, Susie and say, Susie, I need the 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 intervention team here because we've got Bob who we, we've all encountered. I mean, that's the thing that we have to remember too, is you guys know all of these people, most 99% of these people in our community, you're aware of their behaviors and what they've been doing. They have a history with you. You 90% of your time, you're not walking into a situation blind unless it's the first encounter. I mean, th- these are repetitive, continuous yeah. things that keep happening. And many of these services, they know their clients really well from they're inside the building exactly but don't know their behavior out on the street they have an idea they mm-hmm. come in the way they do they hear the reports from us but they they don't necessarily get out and around so having them experience that on. come back to the office and feed that into a system it, it's it really is talking about a change in in a lot of ways of treatment and and approaching things and dealing with them and, and yeah. you're absolutely right that's exactly what we have to be doing is looking at a different way and and that's what this continuum of care group is supposed to be doing in billings right now and, and it's a group uh, where they used to all just play in their own silos and sandboxes, what I always call it. Mm-hmm. And they, they had their, they were their nonprofit and they were there to, to sustain and continue to grow their program. And what we started seeing was, well, this program does it and this one does it and this one does it. They might do it a little differently and have a different uh, philosophical approach, but they ultimately were, were after the same person. Right. And then, and doing and competing for a the lot same of the, funds. And, and same funds. And and at one point it got pretty tight. And then with Medicaid expansion, then it opened up some more funding. Um, I was at a meeting once and, and a homeless gentleman, I was just so proud of him. I, I, I wanted to go give him a hug and buy him lunch. But he was he, he basically came to one of our continuum of care meetings and, and called everybody out in the room. And it was uncomfortable because he, he, he said it like we're having this conversation now. And he finally said, you know what? The problem with all of you in this room is there's five executive directors 
making over 100000 a year, and all you see me as is a commodity. I, I am how you're keeping your programs in the black. Yes. And, and I understand you have to make money. I mean, he was just being brutally honest. He goes, I, I mean, he was saying everything I, I always am thinking. He was just saying it out loud. He goes, but you're, you're, you're sustaining your programs based on, on keeping me at the level I'm at. Right. You don't have an exp because that's how you sustain your budgets. Now, if you would start looking at me as somebody you wanted to sincerely help or acknowledge where I'm at and figure out how to, how do we do this? If, if Bob, this is all Bob wants to do and he's not going to harm anybody, how do we keep him in a, in a situation where we're, we don't have expectations that he's going to go to college and cure cancer? This is all he wants to do, but he wants to be safe doing it too. Then how do we accommodate that so that he's safe being Bob? See, and this is all the stuff like that. This conversation you brought up, this 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 unfiltered portion is because this is where like law enforcement's involvement with the criminal activity intercorrelates with this entire system a little bit, and we got to have these conversations because it all a little bit of this messes with a little bit of that. Right. And, and you guys have, have seen it and you have the history and, and what the, the other problem with this starts becoming the longer you do this, you start seeing the family cycles that develop as well. And all of a sudden we have family issues going on and, and generations that, that we are now having to try to change the direction of, of all of this. And, and at the same time within our police department that you guys kind of start going, well, it's that family or it's this group and things like that and so so changing all of these mentalities at the same time in imagine in a, in a perfect world we, we wave a wand and everybody goes resets we, we restart everything the reality is that's that's not where we're at but we we have to start somewhere and we have to start doing this in 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 ways that will will make a difference and and some of this is going to be tough because some programs are going to go away and change we go back to the hub okay so the the hub has closed um, when it started 20 years ago, it had a specific mission and it, and it did it well. The reality is that most people miss is even by the, the hub physically closing its building there on 27th Street, they're still providing 90% of the services in different locations that they were providing in that building. Right. So, so what, what difference, what little part was missing? It was at lunch. Well, then those people will have to move and go to MRM or to family services, or to St. Vincent de Paul, or somebody and get their sandwich there. The ironic thing, and most people don't know in Billings, MRM provides most of the food for the crisis center and all these other facilities. So whether you actually go to the MRM and get your lunch, or you go to the crisis center, it's all coming from the MRM. Right. And But mm -hmm. there's some people that don't like it, or they have the no trespass, and so they can't go to the MRM. So they have to go to this other facility. And then we play this musical game of, okay, we'll let you in here for a month because you got kicked out of MRM. And then all of a sudden you get kicked out of the crisis center, so you go to the hub. And you get kicked out of the hub, and by then maybe your, your month or two-month probation with one of the other groups is gone. And, and we can keep you that way. Uh, but it also says we have some expectations that you behave yourself. If you want some, if you want food and you want us to take care of you, we have some expectations back that you're going to behave yourself, that you're going to work these programs and that you're going to be respectful in doing it. We have a community that's amazing in what they're willing to provide. 
We really do. I, this is this has got to be one of the most giving communities I've ever seen in my life, as far as willing to step up and help somebody, whether it be a fundraiser for an officer or a family that's had their home burned down or whatever it is. We will step up and we will help people. But there's a point where there's an expectation, and especially for me on a, on a government side of it, that, that we get results, that we start changing the pendulum so it's just not status quo. Right. And I, I just want to tie up kind of everything we've been talking about here is is that a, that accountability, that almost a parental system um, where we've got with these programs and with everything kind of being spread out, some of the issues we're having with some of these guys is just that we we have that enabling behavior that when when one one organization isn't enforcing something, um, that's where they'll go. If they if they meet a roadblock at this one, they'll go to that one. They're smart. They shop right. around they and do. they figure it out. And we're trying to organize this. We're not only trying to organize ourselves um, between the police department and the MRM and all these different services um, that are being provided, but also trying to organize the public with the knowledge through these podcasts so that they're aware fully as to what some of the problems are. I mean, I, I literally, like you talked about the panhandling and them feeling better about giving somebody money. I literally watched a guy break open. He just left the grocery store and broke open a 12 pack of beer to give a beer to the guy on the corner. Cause he's just like, Hey, you need this more than I do. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, it's a matter of educating the public. I guarantee you, the guy that's standing on the corner asking for money, if he did not make a dime that day, he would not be there the next day. He's there because as a public, everyone keeps putting it back on us. Why don't you guys do something about that? Why don't you guys make a law? Well, one, you can't. It's free speech. Two, this is this is us as a community. It's not just law enforcement's job to stop that behavior from happening. It's it's your job as a community as well to not enable that behavior. And that's there's enabling happening from our public as well as through some of our services and trying to get all of this aligned into one big picture is going to help actually reduce that and give people some of that hard learning curve so that they are, are forced into a situation that they're going to have to better their circumstances in order to get there. Yep. And, and the nice thing is, is we're able to utilize um, technology as well in helping with this. Um, 20, 30 years ago, you could get away with hitting five different organizations and getting a, getting a gas card from every one of them and getting food vouchers from every one of them and have a pretty lucrative. Yeah, really take advantage of yeah, the system. Yeah, you really could. Now as the system is is starting to work together, and all of a sudden Bob can't go and get a gas card from MRM Family Services and this and then sell two of them or, or, or all of them. They, they have a computer system. And, and as we know this community, other than the, the fluke every once in a while, there's a, a random person. Um, we know who's getting services, who, okay, you got lunch, you know, we're good. You don't get a second lunch just because you made it fast enough from the MRM or the crisis center back or forth so that you, you got two lunches in a day or something. They, they know you already got lunch or you already got your gas card or we already paid your rent or we also, we already did these things for you or this other group already did it. And so that accountability is helping as well. Our problem is, is about the time we get all this starting to work, then we'll have a, a group come in that sees the four people that refuse to play any of these games and 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 enables them. And then we, we, we go down this, because as soon as they, they start you know seeing that, then, then the whole group will flock to that area and go, oh, this group is now 
providing the the low the not even a low barrier no barrier to get the benefits that i want without any accountability and you brought that up last time uh with the last session with uh officer manser is uh seeing like displacement and things like that and that is a big factor is when we're starting to put some of these things into play you're gonna see that displacement but when you get all parties on board there's not much left for them to displace too and then there's going to have to be a change in behavior and their patterns in order to survive yep and that's that's the big goal and yes you're going to see that displacement because they're seeking another location somewhere please don't please don't make me follow these rules i just i just want to do this i just want to keep partying someone else let me do this and when they start finding out that there's no other direction to go and they're just going to have to play by the rules and get better and figure this well, and, out. And if we then, get it down to that 25 people, 25 to 50 people, those are people then that we can incarcerate and we can afford to do it. We can't afford to incarcerate 100 or 200 people just to make this out of sight, out of mind. That's that's right. just not even feasible. But if we can get it down to, okay, of all the bad players or all the players or all the people in our community, we're down to this core group and, and they're just refusing to do anything, then we have some something we can directly work with right. and, and I just wanted to, to talk about one other thing before I know this yeah. this is no, going on to be we're, we're about an hour eight and we're, we're here we're good so one of the things that we're working on that surprised me that I think a lot of people just assumed was happening and I assumed it as well and that is working with the reservations and we talked about this as far as whether the reservations you can't buy alcohol so that's why they're here or whatever else one of the things I started finding out right off the bat um, I reached out to, to, the, to the Crow Tribe and AJ Not Afraid and said, how do we work together? And he goes, you're the first commissioner that's ever called me and said, how do we do this? And I said, well, what, you know, we've got all these, these Native Americans and they're all from the Crow Reservation. And he goes, oh, you know this for a fact. I'm like, well, aren't they? He goes, no. He goes, you've got the Northern Cheyenne and there's there's like five different tribes sitting in your community right now. And that's the problem is you're identifying them all as crows. And that's the problem. And the yeah. problem is 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 that reserva- our reservation. He goes, but I've walked the streets. I've talked. I they, they they have their territories, but there's different or there's different tribal members. He goes, when was the last time you asked a person that you arrested or that you're providing services for mental health services for that you asked are you enrolled in a tribe because we have resources we have things that we can do if i can identify that that bob is a, a, a an enrolled member of the crow tribe then i can actually reach out to resources at on the reservation and say i've got bob here his family won't come get him or whatever else can you address this issue and, and that's a whole new conversation that we have never had. And if we can start doing that, then we can start getting people back into the services that aren't necessarily our services because they treat addiction in a whole different manner on the reservation than, than going up to Rimrock Foundation would treat them. And that's everything we've been talking about with coordinating those services and exactly. enabling behaviors. So, and it's not to, because I know um, Sean Graves brought that up, when he was talking about some of the reservation stuff. And it's not, it's it's a demographic as to where we live and it just happens to be circumstantial. It's nothing to pick on right. um, a, a race of people or anything. It's, you know, we talk about a social service where um, just using the Crow Reservation as an example, you know, it's a dry reservation. A lot of people may or may not know that. And it's just, it's 
that's them making an attempt at being hard knocks. Just we don't allow this right. behavior it's, here. It's no. It's it's no. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so that has caused some displacement, like we talked about. And they come to Billings, and we have when we talk about the difference between transient and homeless, like mm-hmm. you said, is some of these folks coming from the reservations have homes and places to live, eat, and get shelter, and they choose to come for sometimes a week at a time, sometimes a couple of days, sometimes a month. But they're here for their addiction um, because they've found an avenue where they're not being held accountable. And that's, again, us not being able to get ourselves aligned to help deal with it because we're not dry. Yeah. We allow it to happen. And so, so that, having that, that bridge conversation and that, and that bridge with the, with the, the tribe, having that conversation. I, I've had AJ in, in my office two or three times I've been, we, we encounter each other on a regular basis. We call each other and, and find out what do we need to be doing? And, and we were actually, we were making great progress. And I can, I know I keep using the COVID excuse, but we were, we were really working on What if we have an MRM or something in Harden or on the reservation so that there's this, this way of, of ebb and flow because if, if I'm bringing them here for safety or they're coming here or, or families just needed a break, really sometimes even what's happening in our population that AJ explained to me was, you know, it is a dry reservation and, and they know that, that Bob is going to come here and, and they just need a break and they're not going to participate. Bob's going to sue us by I the know, end of this by, Bob. for um, deflammatory. But, um, so he comes here, he, 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 he drinks and stuff. And then literally before COVID families would actually come get him after, you know, they would just let it get, get it through his system. And then he, they, they'd come get him and bring him home till they just couldn't take it anymore. Or he had to come here and, and drink. And they, there was just this, this cycle and you would see that. Yeah. Um, that's not happening right now because with COVID there's the, okay, you know, there, there are the, the reservation is, is hunkering down. They're isolating, they're quarantining and things like that. They, they stopped the bus. They, they had that bus that was going back and forth every day. The bus isn't running right now. So sometimes people are getting here and then they're, they're stuck here. And, and there's not that family support that even though it was, it sounds like a crazy dysfunctional system, it was a system that was kind of balancing itself in a way. It wasn't the hundred percent all the time. And that's mm-hmm. what Billings is experiencing right now is our, our homeless population, our transient population, our drug addiction population have nowhere to go. The, right. the, there's not, there's not that break. Nobody's getting the break. The hospitals aren't getting a break. The jail's not getting a break. Um, and, and there's a point where the system is just so overloaded that even our, our citizens aren't getting a break because now they're on the street 24-7. So, and, I, and, I, and I think to kind of, you know, the, the bus thing, right? Mm-hmm. That's another example of a service that was provided with the best of intentions. Billings is a, a place of resources, hospitals, medical providers, grocery stores, other, other services that they can get. And that was, a, that was I, I believe it was intended for people to be able to, without vehicles, to get to Billings, to get to those resources, make it to appointments, mm-hmm. come back and leave. Right. Uh, but just like, and, and this is exactly why we have to have this conversation. It's, it's absolutely awesome because the, the stereotyping that goes on for the Native Americans, especially the Native American transients that are seen downtown, just like we said before, it, it automatically gives an image that the rest of them are like that. Right. Just like with the, the homeless population, you see a transient downtown begging for money. They think homeless people, that's what they do. It, it, there's, we're putting people in boxes. 
And that's why we have to have this conversation to bust it out and say, these aren't boxes to put people in. These are subsections of issues and they're layers that we have to deal with. And if we can't deal with the, the, the dirtiest part of this later or this layer and call it what it is, we can't fix it. Exactly. Yep. And, and, and that's, and it's, and it's sensitive because you, you don't want to say those people or these people or that or anything else. You're yes. saying how they are a person. And, and as a human person, identifying them and, and their cultural background and everything else, and how do you deal with their addiction, their, their current situation? And, and, and that's a tough conversation because all of a sudden, politically, I slip up one time and say something that, that doesn't sound sensitive. And all of a sudden, it changes the conversation versus- ACLUs all of a sudden. All of a sudden, right? we're going, oh, you did this or this. and. Um, what I'm realizing is just as much as we want the conversation, AJ and the, and the tribe and the family members of the Crow Nation and the, the Northern Cheyenne and the Blackfoot, they want the same conversation. And, and they've been, and we've just never had the communication. I, I'm just absolutely stunned that we have not been able to to have this conversation and and I, I get it there's there's mistrust we've we've burned a lot of bridges on on both sides of this and we have a lot of frustration but the reality is just like I said about everything else I'm not blaming the past I'm not saying it was bad I'm just saying we've got to try some different things are we going to make mistakes are we going to fumble this a little bit absolutely I'll guarantee you right now I will swear on bibles that I'm going to screw this up I guarantee it. But what if in screwing it up, we, we start finding new avenues? What if we start doing something just a little different and go, you know what? We didn't think this was going to work or we didn't see that coming or why didn't somebody think of this 10 years ago? Well, because it wasn't in front of us 10 years ago in this way. If you don't, if you don't like the food, you got to change the recipe. Right. And, and I think where we, where we stick with in, in these last two conversations that we had in part one and part two, I think the thing that comes out, and even though that we've, we're, we're starting to delve into cultural issues and stuff like that, at the end of the day, these conversations have to be had and we stay, we stay on the actions and the behaviors because it doesn't matter what box anybody's in. If you're abusing the system, you're, you're abusing the system. If you're not utilizing the resources, you're not utilizing them. If you're, you know, uh, committing crimes of quality of life, those are all the same circumstances for everybody. Yep. And, and if you're a victim of the system, we, we've got to help you as well. And the solutions and, for those behaviors are all the same. Right. Across the board. Yep. And, and, and ultimately you come down to, there's a lot of good people wanting to do a lot of good things and, and, bringing them to the table. I have a, a saying in my office that says, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. <laughs> and and it's important that we, we figure out who's not at the table. First of all, we have to get everybody in the same room, but then, and, and, and we can get productive with that. But I think even before we do that, we have to actually look around and go, is there anybody missing? Who, who's not at the table? And it might be the uncomfortable person that we don't want at the table that needs to be there because if we don't have everybody there having the conversation then we're going to miss out and then we're going to have that that weak spot in the dam and, and that's going to cause a problem 
And I think that's a great kind of we're, we're hitting a high point. We're a minute in, or an hour and 20 into this thing. Oh my gosh. Uh, we've had a really good conversation. I just want to kind of like uh, end this is, is, you know, the police department, we've, we've gone in a lot of areas I mean, we've kind of gone outside the bounds of law enforcement, but it does impact us in the fact that at the end, when these things fail, we become involved. Um, and my hope is, is that with these conversations that we spark more conversations, I think that I hope anybody's listening to this, that is, is part of those groups that are at the table, please reach out to us because uh, I, I think the, the BPD is looking at a way to be able to lead the community a little bit in some of these conversations that affect this quality of life stuff uh, and, and have them. And that's the reason why we, we started this podcast. And, and you bring up some good points. We're, we're going to cross some boundaries. We're going to step over some lines. Uh, we understand that. Uh, but I, I, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't keep us from having these, these conversations. Absolutely. Gentlemen, thank you for your time. Is there anything else we want to want to pipe in before we uh, let everybody go? <laughs> you don't want to ask me that. <laughs> I, right. I could be here the, for hours. Nothing I, that's going to be edited out I think this is a valuable later. way in which you can start um, communicating within our community in a different way, and, and they're honest conversations. It's not um, blaming anybody or accusing anybody, like I said, and, and I continue to say is it's easy to throw any of us under the bus or to, to villainize us for, for wanting to try and change things. But the important thing is, is we're having the conversation. We're having it civilly. We don't have to yell and scream at each other. I can disagree with you. You can disagree with me. Uh, I, I, I love having these conversations because I learn something out of every conversation. And, and if there's ways in which we can do this that makes our community better, safer, and, and takes care of everyone, I'm, I'm all in. All righty. Thanks for listening, and we're done. Thank you.